The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. Okay, let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive into our study. Father, we're thankful for the evening. We're thankful for the opportunity to interact with other believers. And we realize that uh, there, there's people that believe firmly in salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, alone. And uh, not through any works or any merit of our own. Uh, but we may not always see eye to eye on everything. And we ask uh, that there is, there is always the possibility, because we can be filled by the Spirit, that we can actually direct peace in those situations. And we can be patient in those situations uh, so that uh, we can let you work, even when we speak up and share and try to help people understand things, at least as we understand them, from the Word of God better. And uh, so we're thankful for those. As we spend time tonight here, again, looking at your Word, what you have to say about the Christian life, we ask that you might uh, uh, encourage us uh, with our own Christian lives. And we would thank you for this thing. Amen. So... Um, we're going to keep doing this. I, I hope you guys don't mind looking up these verses and reading them and then thinking about this. But we are, if you have your sheet from last week, we are halfway down that sheet. We're on this middle section here um, where we're filling. We're going to fill these, this, these set of boxes out here. Did anybody pull those out during the week, read through these, and try to answer them? Because I told you you did. Nobody did. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm not a school teacher. I won't give... What? Oh, well, you didn't bring yours along, so yeah. Okay, but that's okay. So we're going to start... Page five. What? We're looking at page five. It's page five, about halfway down the ta down there. And we're under... it. We have this, the, the heading, God has established relationships with us by grace, and each affects how we live. Now, this is a little bit of a review from we, what we looked at in terms of our position in Christ and regeneration. But this is looking... This is looking, I believe, at the regeneration side and how that, by grace, affects us. So we're going to start over here with Peggy, and then Carol will have you read Ephesians 5, right after Peggy reads um, 1 John 5.1. We'll go, so we'll start with 1 John 5.1. I'm just giving you a heads up, Carol, where we're going. I can get my Bible over there. And we're looking for two questions, or answering two things, or filling in the blanks. Number one is, we are, answer the question, so we are to, and that's the second part of this. So, 5 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. Okay. And then Ephesians chapter 5. Okay. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Okay. So, these, this is talking about a relationship with the Father. In both passages, it tells us, Tells us, it doesn't use identical languages, identical, identical language, but it does use the same general idea, or something that's similar. We are children. We're children. We're God's children. 
And both passages also imply, because we're God's children, we what? We love. Yeah, we love. Because you're a child of God. And, and he doesn't just call us. I was like this in verse 1 of chapter 5. Be imitators of God as beloved children. It's like the Father loves you. You ought to, in turn, express that same, that same love. Okay. Now the Holy Spirit. Leslie um, and Gary, you two can divide these up as you wish, but we're going to go to Galatians. We've got all of our verses are in Galatians 5. Okay. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, such thing there is no law. And then if you jump down to verse 25. Live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Okay. So we have the fruit from the Spirit in verse 22 and 23. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit. Okay, now let's go back up in this context, back up to verse 16. Walking by the Spirit, you won't fill the lust of the flesh. That verse probably doesn't, it, it does contribute in a broad sense, but, uh, but the main point here as we're looking at these is, what could we say about the first one? We what? What? Yeah, we walk by the Spirit, we live by the Spirit, yeah. Or... I actually, I think I, when I looked down my notes, I actually divided that because I put, we live by the Spirit, but then the second part, so we can walk by the Spirit and we can have the fruit from the Spirit, part of which is love again, okay? Part of which is love. Now, let's go. Everybody got those? Hold on. Yeah, we're good. Okay, so now let's go over to 1 John chapter 5. Josh, if you would read 11 and 12. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the record. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Okay. And then Holland, if you do 314. Please. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Okay. So, what do we have? Eternal life. We have eternal life. We've got that in both texts. And we know we've passed from death to no life. How? Because we love. 
in other words, I selected these set of texts because all the texts are demonstrating that this relationship, the relationship that they have with the Father, relationship you have with the Spirit, relationship you have with Christ, all of them, they provide a different benefit, but all of them result or should result in <coughs> us exercising love towards others. So I, I, I hope... Other believers. And that again, going back to um, talking about this, uh, uh, talking about a conversation they're having with these pastors, I, I, this, is, this is something that, that I've wrestled back and forth with over the years, but it, the, the more I've been going through, continue to go through scripture, especially as I've been teaching through First John, it again comes down to this. Our responsibility that Christ left us is to love each other. It's not by, and that's why when, if you're asked, how does the church affect culture? We don't. It's what happens is as individuals, when we're loving each other, the world watches us love each other. The world doesn't watch us love them. We're not loving the world. We're not loving those people. We're loving each other. And the world watches that and say, I'd like to get in on that. And you're going to get that opportunity as somebody, as it were, comes knocking on your door saying, hey, how can I have this? And you get to share with them, you get to share with them the good news. Okay, so again, and like, I, and I was going to say, I sometimes I think probably at our church, sometimes it sounds maybe I sound a bit like a broken record about this idea of love, but I, it just, it, just, just like Josh has been good about pointing out how often the New Testament talks about us being in Christ. The New Testament also lays a tremendous emphasis on us having this, this quality of love. In fact, when Paul hears about what people have been doing, it's always like something to the effect, hearing of your faith and love. And I've been studying through 3 John over the last couple of weeks, and John's talking about that with a guy by the name of Gaius, and he says, boy, you've got a testimony. People are coming, telling us that you're walking in, in the truth, and you know what? It's because they know the love that you have. For the saints. So that, and again, this is really the one of the primary things of how to define us. This is how you, you and I glorify God. So we're going to go down to this next section here. And I think all of you just should be able to give just the easy answer. But we want to actually walk through some scriptures. Because what if you run into a believer that doesn't understand this? They've never heard this. You'd be surprised at how many believers haven't heard this, these kinds of things. In fact, this really stuck in my mind. At the end of our Bible conference back in March, we're standing around afterwards, and uh, I, I kind of wish Robin would, was here tonight because I was going to ask her, do you remember what question you asked me at the end of the Bible conference? Because her question was, how come we never hear this anywhere? She says, how come when you listen to other pre preachers on the internet and you go to different churches, you don't hear talking about you, what, the, what you have in your salvation and especially about who you are in Christ? She goes, it's just so rare to find anybody that really communicates this. You get a lot of, this is what you need to be doing, but not a lot of, how you ever get there or what's God's doing. So you're going to run into believers that God's going to bring you across your path and they need you to take some time with them and maybe walk through some of this stuff. So let's go to 2 Peter 3.18 and we're going to be looking at how does God motivate us to Christian living. 2 Peter 3 what? 3.18. 
That popped up on my playlist the other day because uh, I was playing off my computer. Yeah. Um, Kenya, if you'd read 318 for us, please. No, she was ready for that. And she oh, oh, Lindsay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, brain, it was a brain glitch. I just, I, go ahead, Lindsay, if you, you can read this. I just, she was ready with it. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. And almost all your English translations say grow in the grace. But I, I, I just think the idea is communicated a little bit better if we understand this as an, in an instrumental sense. And we would say grow by means of the grace and the spiritual knowledge of our Lord and Savior. In other words, that grace is there for you to grow by. Right? So... Now I want you to go back up to verse 14. And I want to I want to read this because when we read that verse and we talk about growing by grace and by knowledge, you've got to have this spiritual knowledge. The previous verses tell us how this happens. Verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, eagerly awaiting these things, you be eager or diligent to be found spotless and without blemish in him. I don't think by him. I think this is an in him. That is, This is an in Christ statement here. In peace, it says, and logically counter, this isn't logically counter, lead your mind to consider the Lord's long-suffering or the Lord's patience to be salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, according to the things given to him, uh, the wisdom given to him, wrote to you. So this is something that Paul had written to these people and and. Uh, Peter's saying, hey, Paul's written about this, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them things in which there are some things that are hard to understand, in which the unlearned and the unstable twist these, as well as the rest of the scriptures, to their own, own destruction. But what he's saying here in verse 15 is, the Lord's patient with you. That, what he's talking about, this is the nature of what grace is. Grace isn't you step out of line, God whacks you. You step out of line three times or ten times and the Lord whacks you. It's that the Lord is patient with you. What? Patient. It's the word long-suffering, but nobody uses long-suffering in modern English. So I've given up and I just translate patience. Okay? Uh, it's what I've been doing. Just because otherwise you have to go back and explain what's going on because people don't understand long-suffering by any stretch. The Lord, the Lord is very patient with us, is what he does. And that's the way Paul, that's the way Peter, in this context, is picturing, picturing God's grace. Is that he's patient with us. So rather than looking at that, that patience or long-suffering, as some of us have grown up learning this, Instead of using, instead of looking at that as an excuse for doing whatever I want and get, getting away with whatever I want, Peter's saying, look at that as an opportunity for salvation. And what he'd be talking about is growth going on in your salvation, which is then what he's saying in verse 18. So grow by the grace. Don't look at grace and go, well, grace means I can do whatever I want. No. Look at grace when God doesn't take you out for messing up, then don't look negatively at it, look at it positively, say it's an opportunity to grow. Grow by grace. Okay. 
And this is a, by the way, this, what this demonstrates is exactly what Peter says at the beginning of the letter in chapter two. He says, even though you already are grounded and you are firm in this present truth. In other words, when Paul explained what we would call the dispensation of grace, how we live by grace, and Peter heard that, Peter got it. You kind of see that in Acts 15. But this demonstrates Peter really did get what Paul was getting at. He's just demonstrating this from slight, a slightly different angle. So this is so the motivation here for the Christian life is to grow by grace. Don't just take advantage of it. Okay, Romans chapter six, verse fourteen. Romans six. Romans six fourteen. <clears throat> and this one will be Kenya's. Yes, please. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Okay. Now, what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at how God motivates us. What issue of motivation, motivation with regard to what in verse 14? Living. That's right. But there's, no, there's one other element in that that he's talking about. There's one other element. Oh, what is, what is in this context, what is grace motivating us to? Proper living. Pro, it's proper living, but there's something he says at the beginning part of this. What? Read the verse again. It's not, not, yeah, read the verse again to us. Sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Okay. So you should be willing to acknowledge some of the laws. What? You're free from the law, it's not your master anymore. <laughs> That's right, but he doesn't say this, the law is not your master. He says sin is not your master is what he says. Sin. In other words, what's, what's the motivation to, to, to be free of sin? Is it law? No, it's grace, he's saying. That's what he's getting at. Grace actually is even the motivation to you and I to actually live free of, of sin. He doesn't say the sin nature here. This is just he's making sin broad. It's because that even with, would involve Satan and sin with respect to the world system. Even though the sin nature has been his chief topic, not in this particular verse. Does everybody see that? What he's getting at? No. So. You, you don't. I get the grace, but I, I don't get I need to get something to prop this up on. I, I, I know. I, it'll slide off my lap. So I'm sorry. I have to, have to prop this up. Um, what, he's, what he's getting at, he's talking about the problem of the sin nature. That's what he's talking about here. He's been talking about the problem of the sin nature from chapter 5. He's going to talk about the problem of the sin nature all the way through, verse, uh, through chapter 8. But he comes here and he's told us that we died with Christ, the sin nature. And so he says, so sin, sin shall not be a lord or a master over you. That's what he's saying. Sin sin's the, shall, shall be your master. Why? Because you're not under law, but under grace. The law, it, what he's actually going to get to. Oh, hey, look at that. I got, a, I got a pulpit. <laughs> a podium. A podium. We'll call it a podium. What? Oh, thank you very much. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm just saying. I'm still, I'm still thinking about this verse here, verse 14. Um, she just loved you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So he says, sin shall not be a master over you. Why? Because you're not under law, but you're under grace. Okay? 
Law, when you get into chapter chapter 7, which we're not looking at at the present time, law, according to chapter 7, Paul says, actually incites your sin nature. It makes it more apparent. and Because that's what it was intended to do. And Paul, what? Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, it's like whenever you try to rein in the law, you know, the sin nature is like, oh yeah? <laughs> and it just pushes even harder. And so what he's telling us here is that sin is not your master. Why? Because you're not under law, you're under grace. So here's saying part of the motivation to not sin is being under grace. And that you know why this is important? Because there's lots of Christians out there that think if you teach Christians about grace living, <coughs> Christians are going to go out and send it up because they're like, well, I'm under grace, I can do whatever I want, and they're going to send it up. But Paul's actually saying, you know what? If you really teach people about grace and they get it that actually is a motivation to not sin I, I, I've shared this story myself uh, about myself before but I share this one more time I learned quite a few years back about the fact that I died with Christ in the sin nature and that I'm alive unto God and and I've learned to count that to be true but I had one motivation wrong a lot of the time and that was I need to count this to be true of myself so that I don't do that bad thing. Because I don't want to do bad thing. Because bad things are bad and bad things happen to bad people. That, that kind of, and seriously, I mean, that's the kind of, I may not have articulated it like that all the time. But in reality, the thing that has changed in my mind with regard to dealing with my sin nature is not looking at go, I don't want to do that bad thing. It's more that I'm free from that. I don't have to do that anymore. Because of his grace and my sharing him with Christ's death, I don't have to think like that. I don't have to respond like that. I don't have to be that person anymore. I'm freed. Is that a bigger deal? Acting free rather than constrained? Yeah, it's a big deal. And so again, that's why I'm choosing this particular verse because I think it's a verse that really shows us grace motivation rather than law. Remember what law motivation was? Here's the blessing. What? Fear. It was fear, but there were two. It was twofold. Here's a blessing out here. Keep chasing after the blessing. You'll get this. But also, watch out for the stick from behind. When you're saying, "I don't want to do that because I, bad things happen," to, you know, you're really still associating yourself with the sin nature. You're saying, "Yeah, I want to do that, and that's who I am. That's my nature that's telling me to do that." But when you set your mind on the thing above and you say, I'm dead to that, you're breaking the fact that you're subject to it. You're not subject to it. Mm -hmm. You're free from it. So that's the, that's the disassociation away from that old identity and that sin nature that still resides with us. It's getting our mind up there. Yeah. And, and there's one other element in there that I kind of omitted. As Josh was saying that, it, it, it was like, yeah, I, there was one other part of it. It's not just that I'm free from that but that I'm free for something better. I'm free to do, be involved in something better than that. In other words, there, there might be things sometimes that maybe appeal to me in my mind, but seriously, you people, you people are a motivation to me to be free. Because I'm like, you've given me, you, in a certain sense, you've entrusted these people to me as a pastor. And I want, for their sake, to be a pastor that models this grace. You know, and to me, that's I'm fr I'm 
I'm freed for something better. And I and that you all, all ought to be able to think that about the, the other believers God's put in your life. Okay. Okay. Go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We're not, like with these on one grace, we're not going through any verses you guys haven't gone through before. We've gone through these many times. But Ronnie, if we get there, if you go to Titus 2, and if you'd read for us verses uh, 11 through 13. I have 11 through 14, but it should be 11 through 13. We could go to 14, but we'll stop at 13. Okay. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness and worldly lusts oh wait godlessness sorry godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible righteous and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the Lord our great God and Savior Jesus Christ okay <laughs> so how does what is this what is this verse how does this verse contribute to understand in motivation of Christian life. It clearly flat out says grace teaches us to live a different quality of life. That's right. So let me ask you a question. Paul says grace is training us to say no to a couple things, but also live a certain way. So here's the question. How does grace do that? I know we've talked about this, but I just want to know what you think and maybe if you remember what we've gone over. You consider what Jesus did for you when you were his enemy and that he makes you his child and puts you into Christ not based on what you do and that you have been crucified with Christ risen with Christ, therefore you are dead to sin, and you need to consider yourself that, so you can live in a new way, as he has enabled us to do. Mm -hmm. that, there it is. That's what it is. You are looking at, you're looking at the things God's given you. you look at what you have. Um, the, I don't know. The only other clarification I bring to it is just really what, what, based on what Leslie's saying, when you stop and you think about what you have in your salvation, you're going to look at that, some things and you're going to go, that fits and that doesn't fit. <coughs> this is who I am, and that doesn't fit. <laughs> this is who I am, that does fit. Ungodliness doesn't fit with who I am now in Christ as a child of God. But living godly and righteously or sensibly righteously, and so that does, that does fit. And looking forward to the future does fit, does fit. I just, just like a week ago, I was listening to, I sometimes I just put classical music on because it's not very distracting, but occasionally there's somebody that pops up and I want to listen to somebody teach on something. There was a guy talking, and he kind of made mention to something about the future and the rapture, not the rapture, but just the second coming, and he goes, he says, but we really want to stick with some practical truth. And it just, it, to me, I'm just always like, your future is practical. It is practical. We need to be people that are looking beyond this life.
Because this life is this this life is the it's like walking through the doorway. This whole life is just like stepping across the threshold. That's all this is into eternity. And we ought to be living this life looking forward to something. So thank you, thank you. It's a good way to summarize this. Anybody else have? I think it's showing our love for God, considering how He loved us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay so here here grace is what trains us and i always think this is interesting because i i've been uh, well nah, i'm gonna get the sidetracked if i start chasing that rabbit trail so let's go to the last one so how does scripture define this idea of grace and i should have clarified that how might we define it so let's go to romans eleven six. let's just look at it some biblical definitions of grace there's all kinds of people i grew up we, we use the acrostic for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And as far as it goes, that's, that's a, not a bad way to picture grace. But we want to look at how the Bible articulates it. So we're going to go over to Romans eleven six, And we're back over here with Carol. If you'd read verse uh, 6 for us. Now, if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. Okay. So, what does that tell us about grace? It's diametrically opposed to law. Yeah. Or, in this case, works. Yeah. Pardon they me? They don't go together. They That's don't go walking together. No, they don't. And it's... Um, I will share this with you, just because I, I, I'm not always big on calling out specific individuals, but I had somebody that said, hey, hey have you ever listened to Matt Chandler? Matt Chandler is a Southern Baptist preacher, really well-known. And uh, I was listening to some things he was saying. I'm scratching my head going, hmm, hmm. And I finally, he had a message on, on John 1 uh, and 17 where he's talking about that grace and truth, or law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And he says in that message that he chooses to accept that what grace does is grace and truth give us the ability to keep the law. And, and he... And so then he went on because he said, "How he says there, there's what? How else would you describe the will of God aside from the law?" And I still remember. You guys probably don't even remember this guy, but James Kennedy was a Presbyterian pastor in Florida many years ago. And uh, James Kennedy, I remember hearing him one morning. I used to hear him every morning on the eight ten radio station, and he says, "I would challenge you to demonstrate anything to me that is pleasing to God, that is not." dictated in the law and the Ten Commandments. And he always had that very dignified way that he spoke. And I'm sitting there, listen, I'm going, uh, Romans 12, 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Nobody did that in the law. All their sacrifices in the Old Testament were dead. They slit the animal's throat, they killed them. You and I are the first group of people that offer living sacrifices. Anyway, I'm not here to pick on these other guys. It's just to help you understand, as Leslie was saying, this demonstrates grace and works, grace and law, are diametrically opposed. Okay? You're, you're earning nothing. I'm earning nothing in this sense. And that is, and seriously, when you, when you talk, even, I'm talking about Christians, I'm not talking about unsaved people, I'm talking about Christians, this is a hard concept for us to get. Because, how many people down at Harvest Foods, Josh, do you pay to do nothing? Okay. <laughs> I know. Most of them show up for work. Okay. 
Okay. Anyway, okay. I lost. Maybe I should ask Ben. How many no, people? <laughs> we have a really good crew, and we have a, we they do a, they do a lot. But we have a few. Yeah. You know, a few that it's a gracious payment. Okay. <laughs> but normally, I, I was picking on Josh because okay. But I was picking on Josh because I thought Josh, you know, Josh could say he and Ben and Andrea, if they interview these people, hire. They never say, hey, this, you know what, eight hours, go over there and sit in the deli, bring your phone, sit back, we will pay you a check for those eight hours. You don't have to do anything except what you want to do. You don't do that, do you? You you come in, you interview people, you give them expectations, and that's I, I, I'm using that as an illustration because that's the world we live in. In this world. No, people don't get anything for nothing. Okay, people think they can. That's why they go do all those scratch-off tickets, right? Of course, that even costs them something, right? 20 bucks, 25 bucks, whatever it is, they do that. But you don't. And so that's why I just say it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that God really does give us something for nothing on our part. But it isn't, it isn't nothing. I always like... Uh, it isn't unpaid for, and, and that was the point. It had a very That's right. And that's what people don't get. And and I, that's what grace is. That's right. They get the benefit of it, but Jesus paid the price. Right. And he bought us. And you get people He bought us. I'm sorry. So he owes us. Yes. There are evangelicals to this day that say when we talk about this that we're talking about cheap grace. And that do you realize that what an insult that is to Jesus Christ? To say what he provided for us? was cheap, it cost him not just his physical life, but think about the, the break in his spiritual relationship with the Father. Which was the only thing he cried out on. All that physical stuff that we look at and see how yep. horrible it is, and we think, oh, poor Jesus, he went through that. He didn't cry out, he was silent, like a lamb. It's when that spiritual death happened that he cried out, and it shows you how excruciating that was. Because mm -hmm. I think people, when you, if you, I never share, I don't share that as part of the gospel. We just tell people Christ died for their sins because that's what they did. But you know, once you're a believer, that is the thing you tell them about Christ's spiritual death. But unsaved people, I don't think they get the idea of spiritual death from the Father, how that would be bad because, well, they live in that. And some of them are thinking, well, I'm getting on fine just fine, or I'm getting on just fine without God. Or, you know what I mean? So it's an insult to the Lord Jesus Christ to call it cheap grace. The grace that saved me and saved you and saves us was very expensive. So thank you. Okay. So it isn't work. It's the opposite of law. Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 20. <coughs> Romans 5 and verse 20. And uh, where did we leave off? Oh, Romans 5.20, Peggy. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Okay. Now we have two different words for multiply here. Uh, they both maybe bring a different flavor, but the word for grace that multiply, talk about grace multiplying, has on front of it a preposition that we get the word hyper from. 
It hyper exceeds. It hyper multiplies. So the idea he's saying, and I think that this, again, this is hard for Christians to wrap their minds around. But when your sin nature really kicks into gear and is at its worst, well, God's grace still blows it out of the water. I don't know if I guys, if I told you this. I remember telling it at uh, down at Mattawa, but a few few months ago. I'm in the evenings. I'm looking at. I'm watching these. This YouTube video guy that I like to build stuff. And on the side it said, "Watch this Pinto, 1974, 73 Pinto." And they put like some huge engine in this Pinto. And there's these cars on the track, and this Pinto takes off, and it's just just blows these other guys out of the water. It's just hilarious to watch because it's not what you'd expect. But when I watch that, it reminds me of just what a difference is, except of having another race car over here on the side. I put my aunt's 1984 Chevette over there. <laughs> I remember a few times having to push her car to get it to start. <laughs> Things like that. And I just picture this idea that our sin nature goes, and it seems really big to us when it takes off and it's really out of control. But he's telling us here that God's grace far exceeds that. That's the nature of God's grace. You can, you as a believer cannot outsin the grace of God. Even if God takes you home, that's still part of God's training and discipline. Is it the difference between like a dish, simple addition versus compounding interest or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. And again, we've been over this first, but I still think it's important for believers to get this. And, and again, this goes back to the idea of grace motivating us. Believers get this. I don't think a believer is going to come to this verse and go, wow, oh, I can really get away with a lot. I really think most believers, if they're paying attention, are standing thinking, wow, that grace is pretty incredible. So the last part. I understand The sin nature is sinning, and the law was there to make it sin more. But Jesus died for all the sins of the world. So sin is not an issue. The grace gift is there for you to receive. Because he paid for it all. I want to be clear. The statement he's making in verse 20 this is in the context of talking about a Christian and, and sin and it's Christian sin nature. That's what he's talking about. So he really is reminding you and I, you and I can't out-sin the sin nature, or out, can't out-sin the grace of God. And I've heard people then say, well, what does he, doesn't he discipline people? He does discipline, but you know the word, what the word discipline is? It's the same word that we just looked at in Titus 11, or type, verse 12 that says, it's the grace of God that's appeared and it trains us. It's the same word, it's training. And discipline, even to the point of death, is part of God's training process. That last act is an act of love, and to a certain extent, it's it's an it's an act of grace. He could just let you go on and live in misery if that's if that's what he wanted, but he wants something better for you than to let you go on and make stupid choices. Okay, because we all know people, unsaved people, but even <laughs> believers that sometimes go off and make some really poor choices, and they, and they're not happy, and you just get well, quit doing that. Quit, you know, quit hitting, you know. When, I, when my dad and I would shingle, we didn't have nail guns, you know. You held them the old-fashioned way and did them like this. 
you know, and I'd whack my thumb every once in a while. You'd do really well for quite a while, and then all of a sudden you'd get lazy, and then you'd whack your thumb, and I'd oh, holler, and my dad would say, well, quit hitting your thumb. Sure, okay, <laughs> good idea. Just be perfect. <laughs> Just be perfect, yeah. You know, But you keep doing stuff like that. It's like I, oh, I hit it you know, 20 minutes ago, and now I did it again. And, uh, so maybe I, I'm just slow, but if we're defining grace by this verse, how are we defining grace by this verse? You're defining grace as something that cannot be superseded by sin. Because that, that that's a good question. Romans 11.6, it isn't work. And I just put down, we're defining it. I, I wrote down, even when sin exceeds, grace hyper exceeds. But what we're saying is, to define it, sin can't supersede grace. Sin cannot out, out excel grace. Would it be in the sense of the sin can't defeat grace? Grace will always win. Yeah. God's not going to go, oh, well, Josh, uh, do you know how many times you sinned today? I'm going to take these blessings away from you today. No, those blessings are secure in Christ by grace. You don't lose any blessings. You never do. Um, if, uh, okay, so what, what does God... Excuse me. When, our last question is, when does God deal with us by grace? When does God deal with us? So let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Always. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Always. Even outside of time. Because it's going to extend out. Well, yeah, you just went over that with us a, a couple weeks ago. Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm just going to read the last verses here, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you are ones having been saved by faith, and this is not from yourself, it's God's gift. It's not from works, lest anyone should boast. From most Christians' perspective, when is, when is, is Ephesians 2.8? It's initial salvation. But we've been over this enough that the expression you uh, says you are saved, that is a, a perfect perfect tense that's involved in there. In fact, the, the form of it, we call it a perfect periphrastic. It's a fancy way of saying it's like really hyping up the perfect tense. So it also really is for our present. It is our past, but it's also you talking about our present. saved in the past and will continue to be saved by grace. There you go. That's right. That's, that's this idea. We've already looked at Titus 2.11 through 13, it tells us over there that God's grace is saving us in the present. or training us in the present. So that is saving us is what it is. So that's the present time. Okay. So it's, so it's saving us in the past. What we're doing is we're just trying to establish past, present, and future. There are, there are a group of people, they would, they would line up with us on a ton of stuff that we hold to. They really would. But they call themselves free grace. And when, when they talk about this, a lot of times they, they still sometimes fail to, to really picture grace in the present time. Because they make your future dependent on how well you live right now, as though you're earning your future now. You're earning your grace. You're earning your grace, yeah. <laughs> Even though they use the term free grace. 
And they're, they're big on talking about eternal security and initial salvation by grace through faith alone. But I find very few of them that really explain grace right now in the present. And especially, here we go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I already let this cat out of the bag. Slow but, down for just a second. So Ephesians was present, but does it also include initial? It, it's it, it, was it, is, it is initial with, with the present um, so it's both, right? Yes, yes. it is. Yeah, past and present. It'd be with the emphasis on the present. That's right. yes. You are having been saved. So right. are is the present right. having been saved. Right. And so in Titus 2.11 was present. That's present, because it's training us right now. Right. God's grace. Do we have that tense in the English? No, we do not have a perfect tense. It's Spanish, in Spanish. They have a perfect, and it works the same way that, English, that the Greek perfect does. Yeah. But, but you know what? Spanish is a romantic language, so it comes from Greek and Latin. So it makes sense that they would have that. English is predominantly Germanic, which does not really have that sense. So, Last one, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. So it's like put, talking about tying up or putting up a girdle around the, the way you think or your thoughts. And be sober, hoping completely or endedly or focusing out on the end, on the grace that is to be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the future. I still remember, I think it was like the second year we were here in Royal City and I was teaching through 1 Peter. <laughs> and I, and I look, was looking at this verse and I was like, well, that's one of the coolest verses I've ever seen. I must went through it before. I probably went through it in seminary, but I don't remember noting when Christ comes back for me, he's bringing grace. He's not coming back saying, Tim, this is all the stuff you earned. He's going to come back and he's going to say, look at this. And I have just, I've thrown out this idea. Romans 14, he says, we're all going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we're all going to give a word for ourselves. And I realize that the word logos a lot of times just means an account a matter. It's a, it's a broad term. It doesn't mean just literally word. There's a, there are a number of uses. But I've taken it in a very literal sense. The fact that, you know, when I stand there before him and I give my word, I'm going to look at anything that's left and I say, that's your grace. If there's anything left to show for anything I've done in this life, that's your grace. Everything else, yeah, that burned up. That was my junk. That's stuff I did. Those are the Bible studies I taught trying to grind an axe or something. But that thing, that was your grace. So you think our account of ourselves is after he's already gotten rid of everything else? I don't is know. I don't know. Well, I'm just, I, 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 a suggestion. I'm just making yeah. a suggestion that it falls right in that realm of what we're saying, whether it's sure. just prior or just after or in the middle, I don't know, but it's somewhere right in there. I will say, though, that if, it would really be against the character of the whole purpose of the fantasy if it was like answer for yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like that goes back to here. He's taking the body of Christ, taking us up to present his bride to the Father as a blameless, spotless church. And before you get there, you verbally abuse the bride. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. What Why did you do that? Why did you do that thing? You should feel bad about yourself. 
Now, what bride would want to go through at the wedding if this is what you're getting before you, you step in there? Um, what? That's, oh, I was just going to say, another thought, too, is, is even before we get to that point, I mean, it's, it's completely a matter of grace that he calls us up to him. I mean, he comes for us. That's great. It's just that alone. Yeah. Because we don't, we don't deserve to be called up to him either. That's right. So, amazing. I, I just, I'm just referencing this. You don't have to turn there. But this is what we were just talking about, Romans 14, 12. So each one will give generally, not a specific blow-by-blow, parry with the genitive case, general account concerning himself. But I think this is the bigger point that we miss when we read that verse. We're all worried about giving account for ourselves, but I think what Paul's trying to get at even more than anything, I'm not here to account and say, well, God, do you know what Gary did? And do you know what Carol did? And, and he's going, we're, we're here. This, this is about you. This is about you right now. This is, this is about us. This is not about everybody else. And I think we forget that sometimes. It's kind of like over in Philippians. Work out your own salvation. No, I'm here to make sure Ronnie gets hers worked out right. No, work out your own salvation. You can encourage other people, but you're not here to work their salvation out. And I'm not, and I'm not going to be at the judgment seat to report on you. I'm there just to say, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I did that was worthy. And this because of your grace completely. So that's just my... That's my thought on that. So there's part of me that hopes that that's what I say. <laughs> but uh, so, but I agree. I appreciate what Josh is saying. Yeah, he's not, I don't think he's going to haul us up there and verbally abuse us and make us feel horrible before, we, before he presents us blameless before the Father. So, All right. So anyway, this is uh, hopefully as you're thinking through this, it, this is as we're talking about living the Christian life, trying to really lay groundwork before we get into ever talking about our spiritual enemies to say, what's the motivation for dealing with your, sin, sin, your spiritual enemies? Is it because you don't want to be bad? You don't want, no, it's because of the benefits of God's grace. It's because of the work that he's given. Because he's freed us to love, not freed us to go off and uh, indulge ourselves in the works of our flesh or the things that the world entices us saying we got to do this and that so okay